Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Jenny and I conclude our remarks on the first chapter of G.K. Chesterton's Everlasting Man. The point that Mm -hmm. I think Chesterton makes here is that even a boy who was trained in that philosophical viewpoint would say, wait a second, what I recognize there in that picture is someone exactly like me. Right. So there's no evolutionary change. This ancient picture of a human being exemplified in the cave was a human being like me. Right. That's what the boy would see. Right. That's the evidence. And he says, the more we really look at man as an animal, the less he will look like That's one. That's right. That's true. That's very Because true. there is a fundamental difference between the animal and the human being. And I, right. I don't know where to go exactly at this point, but he well, talks about I think, this later. Let me say something that Dr. Kurt Wise talked about, how much of a spectrum God has allowed so that we humans can even interpret the data in such a way to conclude, I mean, we could conclude that the earth is flat. Yes. He's, he's given such a spectrum with the data that, that we, can con- we could conclude anything so the the boy can conclude that the man in the cave was a man, but the data is so wide that a man can conclude that he was a he's a primitive caveman. He wasn't a man, and therefore, you know, God has allowed that. He's given us that that spectrum. Yeah. Well, actually, even no, no, no. even Chesterton says this. The old epic poets at least knew how to tell a story, possibly a tall story, but never a twisted story. Okay, so... Never a story tortured out of its own shape to fit theories and philosophies invented centuries afterwards. That is, they looked at the data as definitive. The data itself can tell us a story, right. but they're not trying to make the data fit some twisted theory right. or twist the data to fit a theory that they've dreamed up in their heads. Right. And that's what I guess that's what I'm trying to say that God's given us that wiggle room, but that we could interpret data in so many different ways. Yes. So that can. in the end, we can conclude that the earth is flat. Right. We can we could prove that the earth is flat. Right. And it's a completely rational case right. that we it build sounds that for way. It. Yeah. Yep. And and that's one way of understanding the data. And so rationally, we can create all kinds of pictures mm-hmm. based on the information that we've been given that makes sense of right. all of that data in a coherent way. Well, here's something that that Chesterton says in here in this chapter, he says, the evolutionist stands staring in the painted cavern at the things that are too large to be seen and too simple to be understood. He tries to deduce all sorts of other indirect and doubtful things from the details of the pictures because he cannot see the primary significance of the whole. And I would say here, probably because of a lot of his presuppositions, mm-hmm. 
thin and theoretical deductions about the absence of religion or the presence of superstition about tribal government and hunting and human sacrifice and heaven knows what. In the next chapter, I shall try to trace in a little more detail the much disputed question about these prehistoric origins of human ideas and especially of the religious idea. You can cut that last sentence out. So there you go. He, he stands staring at the painted cavern, at things too large to be seen and too simple to be understood. Right. Too simple in many mm-hmm. ways because it doesn't fit the rationalistic picture that we want to create about it. Right. Instead of just looking at the data itself and what that data might indicate. Right. So right, right. Chesterton says... If the boy was one of the flock of the priest, it may be presumed that he had been trained in a certain quality of common sense. That common sense that often comes to us in the form of tradition. And I think you've already talked about this. Yep, you've already yep, said this. Yep. In that case, he would simply recognize the primitive man's work as the work of a man. Right. Interesting, but in no way incredible in being primitive. The common sense of the child could confine itself to learning from the facts what the facts have to teach. Right. Instead of coming up with some sort of metaphysical explanation, (laughs) some rationalistic, speculative notion that tries to create some large-scale picture that explains all the facts in light of a whole series of of assumptions, right, which, which is what evolution is. Which you can go back to um, modern theology and biblical criticism. Right. Essay. And the higher critics. No, I'm talking about the essay by C.S. Lewis. Yes. And he that's exactly what he says. He talks about that, creating this whole story. Right. When you weren't even there. Right. And how often... The stories that we create like that mm-hmm. are just flat wrong. Right, 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 right. And because the people who created the story ultimately at first are dead, we can never prove the speculative reasoning about it wrong. Exactly. That doesn't mean it's not wrong. So Chesterton says, The common sense of the child could confine itself to learning from the facts what the facts have to teach. He would see no evidence of the caveman of crude evolutionism, because there is none to be seen. When you look at the pictures drawn by the caveman in the cave, you see a man as rational, as interested in the... In his natural world. In his natural world. Understanding... aesthetics. Understanding the movements of right. the, of the, of of the, the world artistic, around him, of the, the, cre- the creatures that surround him. As any rational yeah. human being could be today. Right, right. It's the same thing. Because there is no evidence of evolutionism to be found in the evidence of that cave. What would be for him the simplest lesson of that strange stone picture book? After all, it would come back to this, that he had dug very deep and found the place where a man had drawn a picture of a reindeer. But he would dig a great deal deeper before he found a place where a reindeer 
had drawn a picture of a man. Right. <laughs> that sounds like a truism. But in this connection, it is really a very tremendous truth. The childish common sense would keep the most evolutionary child from expecting to see anything like that. Yet, in the traces of the rude and recently evolved ancestors of humanity, he would have seen exactly that. It must surely strike him as strange that men so remote from him should be so near, and that beasts so near to him should be so remote. To his simplicity, it must seem at least odd that he could not find any trace of the beginning of any arts among any animals. That is the simplest lesson to learn in the cavern of the colored pictures. Only it is too simple to be learned. It is the simple truth that man does differ from the brutes in kind and not in degree. And the proof of it is here that it sounds like a truism to say that the most primitive man drew a picture of a monkey, and that it sounds like a joke to say that the most intelligent monkey drew a picture of a man. Something of division and disproportion has appeared, and it is unique. Art is the signature of man. Yeah. And this is the lesson of the great Greek philosophers right. as well. Right. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates all recognized that in the human, something radically different from the rest of the natural world mm -hmm. had occurred. Right. Humanity was a rational animal. That is, we were of the class of animals. But there was something radically different about us. And there is that notion of rationality, which, if we look at the Hebrew scriptures, we might very well understand as the image of God in man. Right. The logos, right. the word that became flesh ultimately right. in Jesus Christ. And then Chesterton says, when all is said, the main fact that the record of the reindeer men attests, along with all other records, is that the reindeer men could draw and reindeer could not. Yes. If the reindeer man was as much an animal as the reindeer, it was all the more extraordinary that he could do what all the animals could not. Yes. All other animals could not. If he was an ordinary product of biological growth, like any other beast or bird, then it is all the more extraordinary that he was not in the least like any other beast or bird. He seems rather more supernatural as a natural product than as a supernatural one. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that, that last sentence, That's I think is thing. an absolute clincher. Yep, exactly. Man seems rather more supernatural as a natural product. Yeah. When you look at human beings, and this is, Proved naturally by what we understand by the distinction between artificial mm -hmm. and natural in our everyday world today. Right, right. What is it that makes something artificial? It is the mixture of human rationality with it, mm -hmm. rather than so a beaver's dam is not unnatural, is not artificial, but 
The World Trade Centers are artificial. Why? Because human rationality has brought something new to the world, something more than natural, something definitionally super natural. Like matter plus energy plus ideas. Right. Which equals life. The image of God in the world. Right. And it is fundamental to the Christian faith that the supernatural invades the natural Mm -hmm. with the image of God in man. Right, right. This is the best explanation, the most rational explanation of our experience as human beings. Exactly. And this is why, and I guess in, in my own way here, as we're talking about this, this is one of the best moments in the Christian atheist that we've had that actually explains to our listeners why I turned away from the atheist worldview yeah, and back and to back. the Christian worldview because it makes more sense. Yes. It grounds everything. It gives us everything of value in our world. It gives us science. It gives us art. It gives us literature. It gives us all the beauty and majesty of humanity and gives in us the face of the natural and world. gives us a future where you have an eternity with God. No, an eternity yeah, that but <laughs> which is extremely exciting. But I'm saying an eternity to get more knowledge, to get yeah. more to get everything you've always been seeking and hungering right. for on earth. And that about not just actually tells us about not just about God, but about everything. Yes. All of that will be just an, an eternity of, of just constantly going farther up and further in. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and that is what rationality points us to. Yeah. Our very human nature tells us that there is an ideal towards mm-hmm. which we are moving. And there is no better way to understand that ideal than as the being of God himself into which we are to search, to seek, to to drive to love. Mm-hmm. That is the purpose of humanity. And if we don't have that, yeah. then we are purposeless material beings that have no, no nothing purpose. Right. Exactly. Nothing and nothing of value. Why should I value being nice to another human being? Right. Why should I value some basis for it? Why should I value who I am as a woman or as a man? Yes. Why should I value anything? There is no value outside of some sort of transcendental reality. So why not which we are directed? Why not change who I am? Right. Because so if everything is merely relative and subjective, then the woke are right. Right. We can be whatever we want, whenever we want. Right. But be careful of what you wish for. <laughs> because if that is true, then there are no boundaries. And it's just as right for me to kill you because you made me angry. Right. As it would be for me to respect you as a human being. Because it's all relative. There are no real boundaries at all. And you better be somebody I respect. Right. And (laughs) if not, you know, too bad for you. Right. Exactly. Okay. So 
I think this is the end of the chapter. He says, It will be well in this place, however, to sum up once and for all what is meant by saying that man is at once the exception to everything and the mirror and the measure of all things. But to see man as he is, it is necessary once more to keep close to that simplicity that can clear itself of accumulated clouds of sophistry. The simplest truth about man is that he is a very strange being, almost in the sense of being a stranger on the earth. In all sobriety, he has much more of the external appearance of one bringing alien habits from another land than of a mere growth of this one. He has an unfair advantage and an unfair disadvantage. He cannot sleep in his own skin. He cannot trust his own instincts. He is at once a creator moving miraculous hands and fingers and a kind of cripple. He is wrapped in artificial bandages called clothes. He is propped on artificial crutches called furniture. His mind has the same doubtful liberties and the same wild limitations. Alone among the animals, he is shaken with the beautiful madness called laughter, as if he had caught sight of some secret in the very shape of the universe hidden from the universe itself. Alone among the animals, he feels the need of averting his thoughts from the root realities of his own bodily being, of hiding them as in the presence of some higher possibility which creates the mystery of shame. Whether we praise these things as natural to man or abuse them as artificial in nature, they remain in the same sense unique. That's good. Let me just continue with this. Okay. It is not natural to see man as a natural product. Mm -hmm. That is, we human beings, everybody knows this. Yeah. This is a point I've tried to make, and I don't understand why the world doesn't see this clearly. Man is not a natural product. We are the source of the artificial. Right. And Chesterton continues, it is not seeing straight to see man as an animal. It is not sane. It sins against the light. Mm -hmm. We see ourselves as fundamentally distinct from the rest of the natural world. Right. And all you have to do is ask yourself about the leftist view of humanity to recognize this fact. Right. Because the left sees human beings as a cancer Right. on the planet right. that is destroying the natural world. But only that which is unnatural can be that. Right. And right. so they do not see man as a natural thing. Right. It is the invasion of the supernatural into the natural. Right. It is reached, he says, by stretching a point, by making out a case, by artificially selecting a certain light and shade, mm -hmm. by bringing into prominence the lesser or lower things which may happen to be similar. We create these rational pictures that are trying to force reality right. into their mold. In a word, this hyper-rationalistic, this Hegelian viewpoint yeah. is metaphysical. That is, it is something in the realm of faith, not in the right. realm of knowledge, not in our common evidentiary 
understanding of the world. The thing that you have been fighting for so long. <laughs> yes. It is a theoretical, mm -hmm. a rational map, a left-brained image, mm -hmm. not a solid reality right. as grasped by the right brain. And then Chesterton says this, okay. the solid thing standing in the sunlight, the thing we can walk round and see from all sides is quite different from this hyper-rationalistic understanding of an evolutionary human being who is nothing more than the natural world. Right. He says, it is also quite extraordinary. And the more sides we see of it, the more extraordinary it seems. It is emphatically not a thing that follows or flows naturally from anything else. Yeah. We might as truly say that it would not be in the same universe. And again, all we need to do is think about traveling to another world mm -hmm. in which we're looking at the natural things and then encountering a rational being. And the difference we would make between the encounter with that rational being right. and all of the rest of nature right. surrounding them. Right. We would recognize that they were a being like us, us. having that image of God. Right. And the image that we try to put, <laughs> we as. That they try to suppress. No, no, that we try to put into the entire creation when we create our little stories. I mean, even Lewis creating stories with animals with human qualities. Mm -hmm. We try to put our image into everything else. And one of the things I have been Inanimate. frustrated with as I've been teaching philosophy over the last 20 years, mm -hmm. I have studied very carefully this intersection between the human and the animal and the 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 motivation that modern science has to try to as chesterton says blur this distinction between the white and the black mm -hmm. and make everything a species of gray mm -hmm. scientists have been trying with every fiber of their being mm -hmm. to make this distinction between human beings and animals, just a slow gray gradation. But they failed utterly. The distinction is still there. Right. Even if you want to call it a quantitative distinction rather than a qualitative distinction, the quantitative distinction is more like a Grand Canyon cavern yeah. Yeah. than it is like a small step right. from one to the other. There is nothing in the natural world that compares in any way right. to the rational being that is humanity. Right. Now, as a matter of fact, Chesterton goes on, there is not a shadow of evidence that this thing was evolved at all. And he's not talking about physical mm -hmm. evolution here. Yep. I think, like C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton did not take a position right. on the physical the modern, notion of evolution. The modern science right. at the time. The scientific theory. Right. But this thing that is human rational being, there is no evidence that this thing was evolved at all. 
it came to be, but we have no idea scientifically how it came to be. He goes on. There is not a particle of proof that this transition came slowly or even that it came naturally. In a strictly scientific sense, we simply know nothing whatever about how it grew or whether it grew or what it is. Right. It was not and it was. We know not in what instant or in what infinity of years. Something happened and it has all the appearance of a transaction outside time. And that is the created image of God in man. Yeah. And what we do know, God says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's Ecclesiastes. Yes. Chesterton ends with these words. We can accept man as a fact if we are content with an unexplained fact. We can accept him as an animal if we can live with a fabulous animal. But if we must needs have sequence and necessity, then indeed we must provide a prelude and crescendo of mounting miracles that ushered in with unthinkable thunders in all the seven heavens of another order. A man may be an ordinary thing. Human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. And that is one of the fundamental facts Mm -hmm. with which we must deal and that we must try to explain. Right, right. Okay, so I think that's all we have time for, John. I know you probably have lots more to say, right? Yeah, as we sort of moved our way through that, I had all kinds of notes that I didn't get a chance to (laughs) propound. You always have lots of notes. (laughs) But, you know. Mm -hmm. You have all those kinds of notes, and then you have all those notes on Paradise Lost. So what's going on with your book? We've made real progress on Paradise Lost. We're down to the point now. We've made the decision to include the entire poem in the book. Yeah, with the book. Which was a bit of a, we weren't really (laughs) sure whether we wanted to do that because it really extends the size of the book. But we thought it was worthwhile for people to be able to have the poem there to read along with our commentary. Yeah, it was a good idea. It was just hard to get in there. It was hard to do because (laughs) we had to figure out how to, like, actually number the lines of the poem right. and put it in the book and so and that stretches us yeah you've worked age. really hard on it that. stretches us really at our job. age yes at our age <laughs> <laughs> and so the last thing that we have to do on the book is to create a preface yep and an afterword and that's your and job. then we're ready to publish this book right and i'm excited about it i think it's incredibly important and timely yep for now for and sure. i feel a bit of pressure, yep, divine pressure, I believe, mm-hmm. to get this done because I think it's important. I think now. so too. I really do think so. So, what's on the Christian atheist menu for Monday? Oh, I am hoping to do uh, an interview, chatter view, 
Bill, yeah, a chat interview with Bill Patterson, who inspired this series, series. on the right. Christian atheists right. that we've been engaging in for the last right. boy, it would know, be several months. Yeah, it would be a good ending to the series. And he's agreed to it so far. So hopefully I'll get a, an actual date. We'll get the chat review done and then be able to publish it. Right, right. I'm excited, really excited about this mm -hmm. because I think a lot of Bill. He yeah. has really made me think about things, things in new ways and forced me to to open my mind a bit. Right. So then um, we're thinking next week to talk about, I don't want to give too much information away, but to talk about the Chronicles of Narnia, a specific portion of the, of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe right. as it relates to something that we heard about this week and relates to today. Right. So um, I'm excited about that. I really am. Yeah. And then after that, we we're thinking of doing religion, reality or substitute by C.S. Lewis discussing his essay. Right. Okay. So anyway, if there's anything um, you'd like to hear that we've discussed, we try to put everything into the, um, the description, all the links. If we're missing something, just feel free to ask and we'll direct you. Um, and if you're listening through YouTube, please consider subscribing. We really appreciate that. So if you're interested in knowing more about the Christian atheist, John Wise, be sure to check out the link to John's book in the description. It's called Through the Looking Glass, The Imploding of an Atheist Professor's Worldview, and it's on Amazon. You can get it for your Kindle, for paperback. Yeah, so if you're interested. And as always, if you have the means, why not buy us a cup of coffee? There's a link to that in the description as well. And we thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. We appreciate you so much. And we hope you're having a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you next week. Yes. And I love you, my dear. And this was a lot of fun. It I was. really enjoyed this Chesterton stuff with you. And you excite me so much by what you find in these things. It makes me think anew about and in different ways about this material. And I love that so much. Oh, you're so sweet. I love you, Johnny. I love you, my dear. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.